Good morning. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 17 this morning. While you're turning there, my wife and I would like to honor the ladies in our midst today. Uh, we have a little gift to show our a token of our appreciation for all that the ladies do. It's not just mothers, but I think the ladies in our church are probably the most overworked and underpaid group of individuals that we have. And, and so uh, this is our way of saying thank you to you for all that you do for us. So if, if you had a mother, you qualify, ladies. <laughs> uh, and that's available as you leave this morning. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But if you bear the name of the, the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment and the knowledge of the truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your boasting, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. There's an old spiritual that has some rather poor grammar in it, but some good theology. It's many talking about heaven ain't going there. <laughs> Some of you can remember singing that years ago. Reminded me of the pastor, a new pastor in town who was approached by a newspaper reporter getting an article on, on this new pastor in town. And he said to the pastor, I hope you're not like your predecessor. And he said, well, why is that? He said, well, he believed that only his church people were going to heaven. And uh, this pastor quickly assured him, no, I am not like he was he said, I'm not even sure some of my members are going to heaven. <laughs> uh, it's possible for us to be religious and yet lost. And that's what Paul is writing about as he looks. We, we, we looked at the heathen in chapter 1. We looked at the moralist in the beginning of chapter 2 of Romans. And now he looks at those who are trusting in their religion to get to heaven. And I think it's an appropriate message for the day and age in which we live because we have many that are teaching that all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter who you worship. Doesn't matter what God you, you worship. And yet, I struggle with that because in John chapter 14, in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one 
Absolutely no one comes to the Father but by me. And so, I hate to break the news to you, but not all roads lead to the same place here. Here Paul was writing to the Jews. They thought they were a special people. And they were in a sense. It was through the Jewish nation that God chose to send the Messiah into the world. But that didn't qualify them necessarily for heaven. We're leading up to Romans 3.23 where he says, All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God there. If Paul were writing today, I'm not sure that he would be writing this and speaking of the Jews here. I wonder if he would be talking about those that are what we would like to, what we call nominal Christians. They were born in a Christian family, so therefore they must be okay. Or they were born in, and I don't know where people get this today, but born in a Christian nation, so we've got to be headed for heaven there. Uh, Those kind of people often live good lives. And yet, for so many of them, the only impact that church has upon them is the fact that they're looking for a place when they're born to have the baby either baptized or dedicated. They would like to have a place to have a wedding. And when they die, it's nice to have a a preacher there to, to preach a sermon at your funeral and so forth. But... God has nothing to do with their life the, the, the rest of the time there. What is it that God says here to the religious lost? Several things. First of all, he reveals to us the fact that knowledge alone does not save us. The Jews, as he illustrates in the opening verses, knew the word of God. They boasted in it. They, they knew the standards that God had. They possessed the law. They were teachers of the law. They knew about God, and they even taught others about God. And yet, when you come down to verse 21, it says, You who teach others, do you what? Do you teach yourself? Do you practice, in a sense, what you preach here? It is one thing to know what God requires. It's another thing to do it. It is uh, possible for us to know, and yet not live out the life that God has for us. As I think of that, I can't help but think of a a seminar I went to taught by a man who was had many good spiritual principles that that he was sharing and yet what he he came to the subject of marriage and here he was in his late fifties or sixties, had never been married and I thought, you know, it would have been far better for somebody else to teach that part of the course. I, I, I came away feeling this man doesn't really know what he's talking about. It, it, it's one thing to have that, the head knowledge. It, it's another thing to live it out. And uh, I, I see the same thing happening in, our, in the world today. I wonder how many marriage counselors out there are divorced. And you want to say to him, physician, heal yourself. Before you come with all of your advice for somebody else, what about your own life? Get your own act together first and then come and, and practice if, if you practice what, what you preach there. Now, I think one of the problems that we have today, even in our homes, is I wonder how many parents come to their kids and say, in a sense, do what I 
say, not what I do. They don't live out the reality of their faith. Do you know what the kids see when that happens? They see hypocrisy. And, and they turn away from that. Uh, and, and so knowledge alone doesn't save us here. It's possible, he said, to be religious but dishonest in verse 22. Notice he says, you who teach here, you shouldn't steal. He said, do you yourself steal? Now, I, I think we need to realize what he is saying in this passage. He's looking at the heart. He's dealing with a heart issue here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the problem that he was dealing with and wrestling there was, yes, many of the Pharisees and the scribes were living good lives. They, they were practicing a lot of righteous acts and so forth, but their heart was not right with God. And here he uses the illustration of stealing. And we need to remember in those days, most merchants had two sets of scales. You bought with one set, you sold with the other. And uh, they weren't the same. They, they, they were for your advantage there. Uh, you were cheating the customer. You, you were cheating the, who you were buying from and so forth. Now, we wouldn't do that today, would we? Uh, we, we wouldn't uh, have two sets of scales and so forth. But I wonder, do we say thou shalt not steal? And then when it comes time to file our income tax, do we fudge on it just a little bit to save a little bit of money? Now, we, we need it more than the government, don't we? Uh, we, we? We can justify that in our thinking, but God says that's stealing. What about on the job, our expense accounts? Do we pad our expense accounts? Do we... Include things that, that shouldn't be on there? Uh, or if you're an employee and you're not worried about the expense account, do you sometimes help yourself to the supplies? That's stealing. That, that's, that's a hard issue that, that is taking place there. James 4.17 says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And, and here he was saying to the, the, the Jewish people here, if, if you're involved in, in that dishonest practices there you've got a heart problem you need to, to be saved there to know the will of God does not guarantee that we will do it we can be religious we can know the facts and we can still be dishonest he also goes on to say we can be religious but in verse 22 immoral as well have you ever wondered in some of the stories in the, the Bible, uh, some of the details that are left out. In, in John chapter 8, the Pharisees bring a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery before Jesus, and they said, shall we stone her? Moses commanded that, that she be stoned and so forth, and, and yet the Roman government said, you, you're not allowed to, to do that. Uh, they reserved the right to capital punishment. They were trying to trick Jesus. You ever stop and ask yourself, where was the man? If she was caught in the act of adultery, so was he. Uh, I have to wonder what Jesus wrote in the sand that day. Uh, I, I think the Pharisees had set this, this situation up, uh, trying t 
to condemn Jesus there. Again, as you think about that, it is a heart matter. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, um, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, get the right chapter, we'll, we'll get the right verse. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that the one who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. It's a heart matter again. He, he goes back to where is our heart? It's possible for us to say, well, you know, I've never committed adultery. And yet, when you read the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6 there, where he's uh, dealing with the whole question of prostitution and so forth, you come down to verse 25, he says, don't desire her beauty in your heart. It's more than just the physical act. It's, it's where is our heart today? I think that's a major problem that we have to struggle with in our society today. We have the abundance of pornography, and lust, and so forth, and the church is not exempt. It, 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 it's possible to be religious and still get involved in some of those practices. We, we, we need to be careful in, in those areas. Proverbs chapter 23 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We, we, we can know what God expects, but if our heart is not right, then we are not right as well. It's possible to say, I've never physically fallen in that area, but we can still be immoral in our thoughts. Our heart can still be far from God. And it's also possible, he said, to be religious here and blasphemous at the same time in verses 22 through 24. He said, you abhor idols. The, the Jews prided themselves on the fact that they did not have idols. That was one of the reasons they went into captivity in the first place was because they had worshipped idols. And when they came out of that captivity, came back into the promised land, they left their idols behind. They, they did not have a problem with idolatry in that sense of worshipping a physical idol at, at, when they came back into their land. And yet Jesus as he looked at them on one occasion, said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It is possible for us to have an idol in our heart. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and materialism at the same time, or, or man in there. We, uh, an idol really is anything that controls us, our desires, our decisions, anything that is more important to us than God. And I think it's good for us sometimes to stop and really evaluate, do we have something in our life that keeps us from following God? Do, do we have something in our lives that keeps us from being the men and the women that God expects us to be? If we do, then... In verse 24, he says, the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles. They see. People realize what we are really living for. And we, we say that we are living for God. And if we're living for something else, we are blaspheming the name of God. I think, as you sum up this section, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, having a form of godliness, they deny the power thereof. And that's where so many people are today. That sums up the religious world, that those that are lost, that they have a form of godliness, 
and yet they deny the power of God. That's a serious place to be. We, we, we need to be careful that we don't move in, the, in that direction today. Not only does knowledge not save us, but he goes on to say rituals do not save us. Here he gives the illustration of circumcision. We'll look at that more when we come into chapter 4 there. But uh, they were trusting in the fact that, hey, I was circumcised. I have to be right with God. Again, James chapter 2 in verse 10 says, if we keep the whole law and offend in one point, we're lawbreakers. And, and so here they had gone through the, the ritual of being circumcised, and yet they were breaking so many of the other laws that they were lost. And today many people trust in rituals. They, they trust in, maybe it's infant baptism, maybe it's baptism itself, it may be trusting in the fact that they participate in the Lord's table or if they've had a so-called Christian wedding. I, I'm not sure what people mean by that. But none of those are meant to be a means of salvation. They have their place, and we don't do away with them. But I'm reminded of a lady in my first church. She called up one day, and she, I had I'd never met her. I didn't know who she was, and I don't think I ever met her after that. But she called up, and she said they had had a new grandson. They would like to have the, the baby baptized. She said, do you baptize babies? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, we, we have a, a time when we have a, a dedication ceremony, but we don't actually physically baptize the baby. And she said, well, what's involved in that? And I said, well, the, the parents bring the baby, and, and they promise to raise the child in the fear and admonition of the Lord and so forth. And so, oh, we, we, we don't want that, she said. She said, we don't want to raise this child to be religious. And I said, well, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but that's, that's okay. She said, we're not even sure there's a God. And I said, well, if you're not even sure there's a God, why do you want to bring this child and, and have it dedicated to the Lord? And she said, well, we just want to cover all the bases. Just in case there is a God, we, we want to make sure that this child makes it to heaven. We don't want to raise him in the church or we don't want him to have anything to do with religion, but uh, we, we don't want them lost for eternity either if, if there is such a thing. And uh, I said, I think you have to go somewhere else. Uh, the, uh, the, the ritual was not going to save that, that little child. Now, those rituals can be beneficial. Uh, uh, baptism can strengthen our faith as, as we go through the waters of baptism and make that public testimony. It, it, can, it can be a, a time of, of blessing in our hearts. But if it's merely an outward show, it doesn't touch the heart. Again, verse 29, he, he brings us back to that. He said, uh, circumcision is not that which is outwardly, it, it's that which is of the heart there. I think of some examples from Scripture on that. In John chapter 3, we have the story of, of Nicodemus. You remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He, he knew the law, he was a teacher of the law, he, he was involved in the Sanhedrin and so forth, and he comes to Jesus by night. And uh, you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're going to get to heaven, uh, you have to have a, a new birth experience. Nicodemus didn't understand that. He, he knew the Old Testament, he knew the law and so forth, but at that particular point in his time, he was religious 
and yet lost. Come down to the next chapter, John chapter 4 there, you have the story of the, the Samaritan woman. Again, a woman who was religious. They, they worshipped, the, the Samaritans had their form of worship that was different than the Jewish worship. And, and remember she said, Where, where's the best place to worship? Do we worship here at Mount Gerizim or do we go to Jerusalem to worship? And again, Jesus said, you know what? It's not a matter of where you worship. It's the issue of the heart. Do you really believe in, in me? And so a true Christian is not one who has conformed to a certain creed or a certain set of rituals. It's one who has a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and has acted upon that knowledge. In, in uh, Acts chapter 16, Paul, in speaking to the Philippian jailer, said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved wasn't enough just to know he had to exercise that faith and belief. In, John, in, in Romans chapter 10, come down to verse 9 there, he said, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Do you notice what he said there? It's not enough just to know the way. We have to believe it in our heart. We have to confess it with our mouth. We have to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior there. And so the obvious question as we read this passage is, have you trusted in him for salvation? It's not enough to know the way. Have you accepted the sacrifice of Christ for you? It's not enough to say, I was born in America or my parents were Christians, or I've, I've lived a good life, I've gone to church all of my life. No, has there come a time where you've made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord? Have you accepted the salvation that he has held out to you? If you haven't, you may be very religious, but you're lost. You need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life today. And then as we think about this particular passage, I think one of the hardest groups to reach with the gospel message is the religious lost. They're trusting in their past. They're, they're trusting in the rituals. They're, they're trusting in their lifestyle to get them to heaven. How do we deal with them? How, how do we seek to, to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I think there are three things we need to do here. First of all, we need to live out our faith before them. We need to let them see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in a heart and life. It's not just a head knowledge, but we need to live and practice our faith in such a way that they see that there's a difference between what they have and what we have. We, we, we need to live out the reality of our faith. And then we need to pray for them. We need to pray, Lord, open their eyes. Help them to see the fact that they need a Savior. Help them to see that they, they are lost, that they need to make that decision. And then we need to share the gospel with them. We need to let them know that they need Jesus Christ. We, we need to reveal to them the truth of the, the word of God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. If, if they're trusting in their works, if they're trusting in their rituals or, or their parents or whatever it may be, we need to share the gospel message with them and tell them that they need a Savior. Now, will it work? Well, I, I, 
find an encouraging verse in Acts chapter 7. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Here was a group of religious lost. They, they, the very ones that Paul is describing here in this particular chapter, they were trusting in the fact that they were born in the Jewish nation, that many of them had observed the ceremonies and so forth. And then along comes the Messiah. Rejected at first, but then as the time goes on, it says many of them believed in him. Don't write off that religious lost person. Don't say they're never going to change. Don't say that God can't reach their hearts. If he could reach the hearts of the priests in Israel, he can reach the heart of those that are trusting in their own religion to get them to heaven. Isaiah 59 says in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. In uh, 1 John 4, 4, we read, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Can they be reached? You bet they can. God is still in the business of reaching men and women with the gospel message. This is a serious passage of scripture in the day in which we live. I have, the last couple of years, had the habit of praying through Operation World. I don't know if you've ever seen that book or not. It's a very thick book. It sits on my desk there. And every day, or sometimes three or four days, there's a country that you pray for. And if you work your way through the book, by the end of the year, you've prayed for the whole world. And... I just find it a good exercise, spiritual exercise for myself because, you know, there's a lot of countries out there I've hardly ever heard of, let alone know to pray for without a reminder there. They have every country listed in there. They tell you about the country and what's going on there and so forth. But, you know, the thing that I find difficult about that is so many of the countries, that they share how long, there's been missionaries there, the gospel has come and so forth, and, and the percentage of people that are supposedly Christian and so forth. But on, on many of the days, they ask prayer because most of the Christians in those countries are nominal Christians. They still practice their old uh, spirit worship and so forth. Uh, they, they've joined together different religions and so forth. And, uh, you know, the same thing is true in America. We, we are told, statistics tell us that 80% of our nation professes to be Christian. And yet when you look around, you have to wonder how many people are professing but not actually possessing Jesus Christ. Are, are, are they really a child of God? When you look at their direction, our nation is gone. I have a hard time believing the this, this statistics there. We need to be men and women of prayer, praying for those that, yes, they're leading good lives. They may even be religious. They may be attending a church somewhere. But if they don't have Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are lost. They need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you and I have that responsibility to live out our faith before them, to pray for them, and to share Jesus Christ with them. Because it was Jesus himself that said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to get to heaven by their works, by their rituals, by their knowledge. They're only going to get there by their faith in Jesus Christ. And so let's communicate that message to those that desperately need to see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality that those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who confess him as Lord and Savior, have the hope of a glorious future and a glorious eternity. But Father, our heart goes out to those that haven't made that profession of faith. Give us the courage to live a life that reveals Jesus Christ to those around about us. Give us that sense of responsibility to pray for the lost. And help us, Father, to take seriously the call to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To share that message with those that need Jesus Christ. Knowing that we can't change their mind, but you can. And so we pray that you would help us to recognize our responsibility before you to be men and women of the word, proclaiming Jesus Christ to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before our closing number, let me remind you there are baby bottles back there. Uh, Need some coins in them. And if you don't want to put coins in them, you can put dollar bills in them. I I think those that count that money appreciates the the dollar bills more than rolling up the coins. Uh, that's that's quite a job. And also, ladies, uh, we'll have a gift back there for you at the end. Okay. Before we start, I would like to add that the long-term care this afternoon does a special Join our voices together with trust and obey. Mm-hmm.